Feel like Black Jesus. What's good? Welcome to the Fro on the Flow, presented by Burbs Entertainment. I am Ralph Campiano. I'm your host of the Fro on the Flow, and I am joined as always by Mr. Stay Sparkin, Jack Martin, Parmesan the Sailboat. What's good? How we doing? I'm really good. I've been playing Lego Star Wars, the new one that came out, because I'm eight years old. Mm, um, hell yeah. And I'm, no shame in that. It's so good. It's so fun. Um, and now I'm ready to talk about the best non-jackass movie of the year. Okay, did Jackass come out this year? Oh my god, that's insane. Well, we're going to be talking about um, everything, everywhere, all at once with Evan Northrup, one of our best movie writers here at Burbs, and Carter Fairman, as always. What's good, what's good? Barter? What's good, Northrup? Hey, so, buddy. Uh, we're also going to talk about um, the most recent episode of Atlanta, too, and find out which one of us is the most racist. Um, so that should be pretty intriguing as well. Um, I, got, I got my money on Evan up front. Um, all right. Everything, That's everywhere, terrible. all at once. is It's like the <laughs> highest rated movie of the last, I don't know, five decades since The Godfather, I guess, or Parasite, one of the two. Um, who wants to go first? Because I think we all are in a similar boat. I think I liked it the least out of the four of us because I'm really you know, um, the the most mm. pessimistic out of the four of us. But Northrop, why don't you start? Because you wrote a review on it, and you know this is something I know we've all been looking forward to it for nine Northrop's months. Northrop's got Jack, fucking see the yeah. directors live. Yeah, that was really cool. Exactly. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I've seen it two times now, and it's kind of tough to like pick apart what I like about this movie. Cause I don't want to put one thing ahead of the others. I think everything working together so well is what makes this movie great. Like the directors and the writers and the actors and whatever. But overall, I mean, I thought it was a five-star movie. Um, it had everything to make a movie great. It was funny. It had action. It was also like you said, really creative, but I think most importantly, like tying that together, it just had a really good heart to it and a really good family story, which I feel like, really works on rewatch and it's something that like doesn't lose value if you see it um you know year after year or whatever so i'm a huge fan yeah this movie fucks dude it's <laughs> got it is a five tool film um you know visually uh this shit's on euphoria i don't know why that was like one of the first things that i thought about like when the movie finished was like the colors and like the use of camera shots in this movie makes euphoria look like child's play like this is groundbreaking stuff and then at the heart of this film is like a deeply emotional story about like the importance of family and like each of the characters had a really profound monologue in it like the father had a great moment michelle yo uh is gonna win something for this film i mean she's incredible um the daughter is probably the weakest link in the movie um i haven't seen shang chi yet so that hasn't tainted my view of her but um there's very little to dislike about this movie if anything at all i completely agree i don't think there's anything to dislike i loved it um it's insanely creative like this is what happens when studios let directors like be creative and use their own ideas and let it come to the screen um, I feel like I haven't seen a movie this original in a really long time. Like, there's just been so many franchise movies. Like, every TV show's coming out is about some sort of, like, fucking con man or a new, like, C-list Marvel superhero. And it's just, like, to see something like this in theaters um, with, like, an audience. Like, both times I've seen it, the audience has been, like, so into it. 
Like mm. everybody I've talked to loved it. Um, it's my girlfriend. She said it's her favorite movie. I'm going to go see it for a third time tomorrow. Um, and kind of like Evan touched on and Carter, it's a five tool movie. It has everything. Um, I didn't know what to expect going into it just because of the trailers. It's really hard to boil this movie down into like two and a half minutes. I didn't really know anything about it coming out, going into it besides that everybody loved it. It was like getting this insanely high acclaim. And then like halfway through, it just kind of clicks in your head that you're watching something special. And the movie hasn't had this good of a use of sex toys and action sequences ever. Yeah, it was like Except Saints Row. Mm. <laughs> That's a documentary, though. Well, I guess I could play the devil's advocate because if we all agree that this is the best movie of the year, then it's not as fun of a podcast. I'll just I'll just um, state my kind of blanket issues with it. I loved it. I want to get that out up front. I am torn about how I should stand on this movie because, one, you guys are right. It's the most original thing I've seen in a long time. And we need that more than anything right now because every TV show is a fucking Elizabeth Holmes dropout Uber show that's based on real events. And we just lack originality in that space. So if we're not going to get in TV, then where are we going to get it? Because we can't turn to the movie theater because we have Doctor Strange coming out and they're going to fucking botch the multiverse. So I was glad that, you know, they took that concept and they ran with it in their own way. Because if I think about the multiverse in my head, you know, maybe if I was like a sophomore in college and I was baked and I was thinking about whether universes are out there, I was thinking about the universes where I had hot dogs for fingers. I wasn't thinking about the universe where I was evil. I was like, hey, I mean, where wh- what universe am I like squirting mustard in my mouth or my partner's mouth when I'm putting my hot dog fingers in it? Um, but the other thing is, is like, like <laughs> I, I knew you liked that part. Oh, I, I, I do want to so hot. I have a couple of questions for you guys, but um, my pants were that, steaming just, during that scene, dude. I, oh. I'm curious, like what what your guys is like. Um, how do I phrase this? What was the what was the biggest laugh in the theater for you guys? Because my theater experience was ruined by another butt plug for sure. Yes. On, so I'm I pretty pissed that. about that. The biggest eruption. Okay. Yeah, that was probably me and Jack saw it the second time together. I would say the butt plug one is probably the biggest laugh. Yeah, I think so. Um, the raccoony stuff. I don't know if that got a big laugh or I just thought that was the funniest. I'm confused. That got a big laugh for sure. Yeah, I thought that was the funniest part. Yeah. Yeah, dude, the butt plug thing that got me the most. I mean, that was just fucking. That was that was perfect film. On the butt plug, too, I have to say it's, like, the best use of, like, a Chekhov's gun I've ever seen anything. Like, you see that in that frame with a Jamie Lee Curtis the first time you're like, well, that's got to go up somebody's butt by the end of the movie. Like, it's just, like, an inevitable thing that's going to happen. And you're just kind of waiting. Yeah. That was hilarious. It was, like, fake. Yeah. yeah, it was like, okay, like, she's got that on her desk. Like, that's that's going up somebody's ass. Jamie Lee Curtis was incredible, too. I thought she absolutely mm. killed it. She did. She really did. Everybody from top to bottom, I thought everybody did such an incredible job. I mean, this movie is so awesome. Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, I haven't ever seen her play a part like this before. It reminded me from the sl- um of the slug woman from the movie Monsters Inc. Like it gave me a similar yeah. and um yeah, she's still killing it all these years later. Mike Wazowski. Mike Wazowski. Yeah. It's she just had that like, vibe. The, I think the thing that surprised me most, just because the obviously based on the trailers, was that it, like it looked weird. It looked like this interesting movie, 
there's all these multiverses, but I like I had no fucking clue. And then to go into it and have it be so fucking funny was a really, really nice surprise. Like I didn't know that I was going into like an action comedy sci-fi family drama. And to balance all of those genres at once and like just kill all of them, it's so good. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And being able to explain a multiverse concept because it's been done so many times before mm-hmm. in various films, but you know, I think Christopher Nolan, as awesome as he is, like uh, trying to explain these things to an audience where like lots of people are pretty stupid. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, um, he's had trouble in the past of like laying it out there. Um, there are TV shows that have had that same problem. This was so easy to follow, like, mm-hmm. which when you take a step back and you look at the concept of the movie as a whole, like, this is a wildly complex film. But like, they explained the multiverse in what felt like three or four full minutes. Like, it just mm-hmm. happened, and you got it, and like that is hard to do as a writer the pacing of the movie is like so masterful because every my biggest complaint of movies last year was that everything was like fucking two and a half hours long everything just kind of felt like a slog by the end this felt like an hour and a half like it just absolutely flew by didn't drag on the rewatch like it's just like it's so accessible i feel like i hope it it becomes like has like really like long legs at the box office and like a lot of people are able to see it because I feel like it's just going to appeal to so many different types of audiences. Because even if you're not in on, like, the sci-fi thing, like, multiverses aren't your thing. Like, it's so fucking funny. Um, like, we've touched on, like, the family drama is so good. Like, the dynamics between everybody is so good. Um, I just think everybody can find something to like in this movie. And I haven't heard of anybody that's, like, disliked it. Like, it's – I feel like I haven't felt this kind of acclaim. And maybe it's just because, like, Twitter just really just fucking – making my mind think that things are like more real than they are but like this kind of feels like get out type of coin mm-hmm. get out got I, that hype yeah i was gonna say interstellar too or like everyone was just on the same page about this movie rocking yeah yeah, yeah. it's crazy the time thing too like you saying it feels like it's an hour and a half i feel like this is almost a uh, like a social network situation where this script had to be like 200 pages long because there's so many different things mm-hmm. happening, but they just happen in such quick succession that it had to yeah. be just this crazy long script that was just whittled down, filmed into a, what is it, two hour and 10 minutes? I don't know. That, that, yeah. That's a while. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's two and a half, man. That yeah. really is crazy. It feels so No, I fast. think it is 2.10. I think it is 2.10. I don't know. Does someone want to do a quick? I'm going to split yeah. the difference. I think it's 2.20. I actually, um, on that <laughs> uh, point, though, I do. Um, it's 2.20. I don't know. I, I thought that it I thought that it dragged a little bit, but not in like a drag that was like I am it's losing my attention drag. It was more like when I went into it, I didn't know what to expect. I thought of it kind of as like an LSD or like mushroom trip, like where I don't know what I'm taking or what's gonna happen for the first time seeing this. And then by the end of it, I'm like, holy shit, they just threw so many concepts and themes at me. I'm kind of fatigued. Where like in the last six, seven minutes, once we get to the epilogue, the all at once part, I'm like jesus christ that was a fucking lot like the rock sequence and there's just so many universes that we traveled there's that whole um montage of the shots where it's like they sure should have been a fucking epilepsy warning at the beginning of it and it's just like jesus like that's kind of what it feels like to trip sack for the first time you're like i just need to fucking go to sleep because i was i mean i saw this at 9 30 
didn't get out of the theater until 12.45 or 1. And I was just beaten like a fucking dog by that point. Yeah. I had trouble driving home. Like, I almost went the wrong way on a one-way. Because, like, I had so much on my mind. And, like, <laughs> I was so exhausted, dude. I almost crashed Jesus. my fucking car going home from this movie. I swear to God. Is that a, a promotion <laughs> of this movie? Or is that, like, a warning? Both sounds like to me. It's a personal experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think any movie that makes you feel that much. In yeah, I was also hammered. Is special. Respect. Sorry, sorry. All right. Um. Well, let's talk about Atlanta then. Um. You know, most recent episode was uh, another diversion from our main cast of Ern, Darius, Al, and Van. We're not in Europe. It seems like we're back in Atlanta at this point. Um, it's a lot about slavery reparations um, and kind of the uh, reciprocation of black people and white people and their experience in America. Um, I heard something today about they needed to shoot this because they were shooting in Europe and COVID happened. So it's kind of hard to kind of get all of this done. Jesus, Jack, you haven't even seen it yet? I haven't watched the most recent episode. I didn't know we were talking about it before we recorded it. He tried to keep lying to me. Yeah, he messaged so slyly in Zoom. You just outed him, man. That was it's been out for three days. You haven't eaten grass. I've been busy. I haven't I've never seen so someone thrown it. under the bus so hard. Jesus you didn't, Christ. You didn't tell me until you announced it started doing the what's up, welcome to the front of the floor that we were doing Atlanta. I didn't have time to watch it. Oh my are you kidding me? Is this a sick joke? It was in the Google Doc that I sent in. Did I send a Google Doc in? No, you didn't send a Google Doc. I thought we were talking about everything everywhere all at once. There's definitely okay. no Google Doc. I have the Google Doc pulled up. Mm. But there isn't anything in it about us talking about the show Atlanta. So at the very top of the page, right. it says, "Oh, yeah." At the very yep, top yep. of the page, it says everything, yep, everywhere, yep. all at once, Sorry. plus Atlanta. So yeah. I'm the only one that's right here. Yeah. Good God, yeah. Jack. It's Monday. How have you not seen Atlanta? It came out on Thursday. I haven't been. I haven't watched TV. I've been busy. Busy doing what? Yesterday I was at home at my uncle Randy's house. Saturday I had Sarah and Cassie's birthday party. Uh, I don't all know. Day? Friday. All day from 9 a.m. to, to 2 a.m.? We, we didn't go over you were watching this. What Google Doc did you send? Yeah, I also – did I, like, lose Google Doc privileges at some point? I didn't see well, shit. I, it's not – I sent him not Google Doc. I thought it was everything, Every everywhere, all at once, and then you mm-hmm. were going to talk about that play in tournament with Bet. It's literally <laughs> yesterday, 7.07 p.m., FNF 411.22. I don't know why we're talking about this on the pod. Okay, Atlanta. Evan, Barter, what did you guys think of this episode? Jack, you're clearly the most racist, so we figured that out pretty quickly. Oh, my God. Uh, you, can't just, <laughs> you can't say that anymore. He didn't watch it at a protest. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, right. man. You're the only it's one so that did, had bad things to say about the all-Asian cast movie, so I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> man. Mm. It comes full circle. I gave it four stars. I gave it four stars. It is white we guy. We all gave it. And an Asian guy that made it. So, mm. yeah, there's still there's still some white influence in there. <laughs> okay. All right. No, Ralph. but talk to me about this episode of Atlanta. Talk to me. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, I want you to start. Okay. Yeah. Um, It frustrated me because I want to really? watch my people. 
yeah, yeah absolutely i get that I, um, I get that aspect of it for sure and i thought that you know it was genius it was very smart um i'm not going to discuss what my politics are or anything like that because i thought this was um something that was it can be very divisive it's intentionally like the the bio um that donald writes out for all of these episodes or at least i think that he's writing them he's the one writing them out because it seems like it's coming from his voice um the description of the episode was i can't lie this scared the shit out of me and you know it's um we get see i think daniel barth is his name the guy from the uh what the are those nicholas cage movies movie yeah the hangover national treasure national treasure. he's also the national treasure Dog movies he's the, the main hangover. character yeah. he's kind of like an urn stand-in like if like urn was white i think that's kind of what he's like you know he listens mm, to npr he's a liberal dude and you know i think that they do such a good job of just like the symbolism in the show where you know they don't explicitly tell you he has white privilege they're like he accidentally steals some cookies while he's at a coffee shop and then he eats the cookies in the car and he doesn't return them. Whereas, you know, if a black guy were to have stolen those cookies, there would be 15 cops in the coffee shop by the time that he walks out of it because, you know, the barista would have kept a closer eye on him, stuff like that. And then, I mean, it, it's just like, it's a, they do such a great job of packing so much stuff into 30 minutes of TV. I think that's kind of what's impressive most about Atlanta this season is that they are, I mean, the last episode we had, four storylines going on at once we had darius um we had urn and the scammer and then we had al and uh nando and the kind of scam that happened there so i think that this episode it was like okay they're intentionally trying to get under our skin but for what purpose that's where i'm kind of getting frustrated it's like is this show this show used to touch on racism and it used to be an underlying theme but now it seems like the only theme and that's where where I kind of get lost a little bit because I want to spend more time with my favorite characters more than I wanted to discuss. I don't know, essentially politics. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think those are fair points. I think the theme of this episode was like hopelessness. Sure. Um, and the roles were reversed in that sense. Um, you know, it's a difficult episode to discuss um, in some aspects, but I thought it was well put together. The mini Ripperson song at the end when he's the server um, was perfectly placed. That was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was really high watching this episode. <laughs> and I felt... Jesus, were you, you're intoxicated watching everything. I was it? not drunk watching that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, ine- not inebriated for this. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... uh. Yeah, like I had this uneasy feeling watching it, like this really uneasy feeling watching this episode. And um, that's for sure the point, um, you know? I mean, like you said in the description for the episode, uh, you know, like it was a tough episode to make. It was a tough episode to watch. Like it scared the shit out of him. Um, you know, he instilled a feeling in the audience. I don't know if you guys felt that same thing, but... Uh, Oh, he he for sure did his job there. I was uneasy the whole time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was it was a really, really good episode. Um, I think this in the first episode, in some ways are the best episodes, but really like what they are is just incredible short films. Like legitimately, Mm, I think these things could be like award winning short films if they were used somewhere else. And so I totally get this idea of I miss my favorite characters. I, I even have trouble sometimes, you know, with TV shows when we get the one off, each character gets one episode and sometimes it can feel like we're stalling to get back to the 
back to seeing them, you know, in a cohesive group or seeing, you know, what's happening with the whole, the whole cohort. Um, so I totally understand. Yeah. Feeling like, especially, I think it really weighs on you because we know there's only going to be four seasons and we know there's this season and there's right. more and that's it. And so I think it's hard to watch, you know, episodes and weeks go by without seeing Earn and Paperboy and Zaza Beats. Um, so I totally get that, but as standalone pieces of, you know, visual medium i think they've been really incredible and their social commentary is just like really well done everything from like teddy perkins to the last episode i mean they yeah. just they just really like do it better than anyone yeah i um, can't i don't know if, oh no go ahead i was just saying, i can't touch on this episode because i obviously didn't watch it yet um no kidding obviously there has <laughs> been like a lot more social commentary this season and a lot of it has touched on race um and obviously, like, we don't want all of our media to be politicized, but it's been four years since the show came out. Right. Things right. have changed a lot. The landscape of the country has changed a lot. Um, I think it's clear that, like, a lot of white people really like this show and watch this show. Mm-hmm. So, like, if there's going to be a chance for them to, like, learn something or, like, feel uncomfortable and have to, like, confront those feelings of, white guilt you know we are like four white dudes it's just like i think like to have that platform and do it in a way in a show like atlanta where like you think of it as a comedy you can also think of it as a drama but they always are subverting your expectations and just like throw that at you like it's going to be uncomfortable for everybody but yeah no you're right i don't think they do it in a way necessarily um like they were doing the it was the episode before where they're at the billionaire's house yep. um, and Ern is talking to the Asian woman and they're getting, she's being called racist or whatever. I think they do it in a way where they're able to blend it comedic- comedically where it's not just like shoving politics down your throat in a way where it's just like, I get it. Or just like talking down to the audience. Like, I don't feel like they're ever doing that. And they're just like, not like blaming like making it like overtly just like pointing fingers but just like doing a good job of kind of just presenting society like this weird kind of middle ground everybody's kind of walking on you know tiptoes especially if you're like a white dude because you can never like fully know what to say in these situations because you've never like you know you can't you don't know that point of view yeah he talked about it in his interview with himself in paper magazine that he wanted this season to, of Atlanta to be a black fairy tale where in this episode, we completely see the roles of black people and white, white people reversed where white people are going to have to pay 15% or 10% of their salary. However much money they make to a certain person that was from the same family lineage as uh, the slaves of the white people's family. So with Barth's character, I, I hope I'm getting his name right. Um, he's like Austro-Hungarian and he didn't think that he had any slaves or his family had any slaves because they were slaves during the Byzantine empire. And his argument was, I'm not going to go over there and ask for money back because that's ridiculous. And then somebody says to him, that was like a million years ago. Whereas this is only, they're only two generations removed max from their family being like owned by slave owners. So it's, it's complicated in that way where it's like, okay, um, you know, he's going to, well, here, actually, let me touch on this. Um, I was listening to another podcast talking about it today, and they said that Donald Glover has a black woman problem, where all of the black women that we've seen in this show so far are like Shaniqua, 
Like they're really loud. They're in your face. They're communicating everything. But then he does a good job by humanizing her when Barth is scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and he goes to her profile and he realizes that she's just doing this for her family. She's uh, one of her videos is like her kids riding her bike. So they're doing a good job of humanizing this at the same time. It's like, oh, my God, she might be the scariest character I've ever met because she's, you know, expecting three million dollars from a guy that does not have three million dollars. He's going to be paying that off for the rest of his life. His his kids are going to be paying that off for the rest of their lives, most likely. So it's just there's like this intrinsical horror that's just, I don't know, scares the shit out of me. But at the same time, it's like, am I right to be scared by this? Because you know, maybe we do owe them something like at the very least, because I mean, my family's from Italy. They came to Ellis Island in 1904 or something like that. So my family wouldn't personally be affected by it, but I know others that would. And then the other thing is, is I think your point about this being a show that a lot of white people watch, the show's on FX. Like I have one black friend that watches this show. The, like one of my black friends has never even heard of this show because he watches Netflix or he watches HBO Max, maybe. But like, this isn't like the most popular show in the world. And I feel like 75 to 80% of its demographic is white people. So it seems like they're communicating to white people like, hey, it's okay to feel a little bit guilty. But at the same time, it's like, we're gonna we're making a show that you are in a way supporting, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I think that's like, there are like important themes to like, incorporate and just like yeah like everything this is a very politicized country now everything has some sort of politics in it like we're seeing it like right now with disney like they're like in the center of like florida's legislation like they have so much power um and i think if it's going to be like a show to do it and like have these conversations and present these things to a white audience like I feel like Atlanta is a show where it's going to get people to actually pay attention, actually think about these things and like have to sit in that uncomfortable feeling for like a few minutes and like actually just kind of like internalize it and like feel it out. And I think it's like yeah. a good balance too. Like I like when the show, like I don't like when shows usually do one-offs and like, but I don't know. I feel like they do it in such a good way. And like, I'm excited to watch this episode, I guess. Like, I don't know if excited is the right word. But like the first one, I really enjoyed the first episode and they just do it in such a way where it's not necessarily annoying. And we're getting the next season in like the fall and it was already a four year gap. So like, I'll just take what I can get. Yeah, there's a, with this episode too, it's like, I read something when I was like kind of digging into the episode after the fact and there was a writer i forget where he was from he made a really good point it's like you don't choose your sexuality you don't choose your race um you know you don't choose your ancestors right and yet like two of those things are very commonly judged even Mm. though you know they are picked and so this is like a look of how it would um be if like that third thing uh you know determined who you were yeah and in a way, I guess it does because of DNA and stuff like that. But at the same time, we're our own individuals. And exactly. I shouldn't, I feel like I shouldn't be punished for what my grandfather did because I didn't help him make those decisions or anything like that. That was his own decision to make. No disrespect to my poppy or papa. They're both G's. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like a really specific decision this episode, at least when I watched it, I don't know this, was that at the end there's a character and i won't spoil it for jack but uh that he talks to in that hotel lobby and really it's the first time in the episode where somebody discusses 
like whether that's right or wrong like what's going on discussions like why this is actually happening because like what actually happened in this country and it, the first 25 minutes of the show or just like kind of like a pure like fear like it makes you mm-hmm. you know it's like this guy's really afraid that this is happening whatever and he's not even considering like you know why this is happening um i don't know i just felt like that was a really specific decision because when you're sitting there watching it and then when he starts talking about you know why this is happening whether you know maybe this is like the right thing to happen you're sitting there thinking like maybe like i didn't even like think about the beginning i was just you know experiencing the fear of this guy or whatever because he's going through this i don't know i thought that was really Ooh, yeah. a really specific like choice i don't know i don't know i think the point of this episode is he wants people to talk about things like this you know what i mean and i think that he kind of definitely and i think that that's really the overall thing is just you know to start a discussion um i think you're right it has something to do with the viewership and i don't know even on that just really quick i think this show even how much it's appreciated now is something that's and i'm trying to think of a good comparison where in 20 years you know you'll look back and be like oh like every show after this has like a little bit of a copy of atlanta like everybody's doing right. a little bit like everybody's taking this or taking that and just will have like the most expansive influence on all media after this show i don't know and that's how I think about the movie and the show is I hope that people are drawing from these influences because if people do draw from everything everywhere, everywhere all at once, movies will be off for the better. Like that's a movie oh that God, we yeah. needed right now. Mm-hmm. Atlanta yeah. is if Atlanta can do to TV what the Sopranos did, then that means we're going to get more Breaking Bads and more The Wires and we're going to get all these kinds of shows. Oh, yeah, man. Rather Ooh. than just you know, making more cinematic universes like DC or Marvel. Like we don't need any more of those. We need more of what we have, what we've talked about today. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys for hopping on. Thank you for talking movies and TV with me. I appreciate it. All right. All right. All right. All right. So we're going to transition into talking about the NBA playoffs. The plan, when you guys are listening to this, will start tonight. We'll have the Timberwolves and Clippers play, and we'll have the Nets and Cavs play. And then this weekend – we will have the Chicago Bulls facing the Milwaukee Bucks. I believe on sun- Saturday afternoon, maybe Sunday afternoon. I'm not sure which one. I have Jack and Barter still here with me, and we're going to talk about the Bulls and their worst-case scenario with Milwaukee and their best-case scenario with Milwaukee. I imagine worst-case scenario is potentially a sweep because you guys have struggled against the top five teams in the league this year. And I'm curious what you guys think the best-case scenario is. Is Zach Levine going for 40 a game and DeMar going for 38 is it, you know, Lonzo's out of the lineup, but is it Caruso clamping up Drew and taking him out of the game? Does Patrick Williams stand a chance against Giannis? Where do you guys stand after this miracle of this first half of a season, disaster of a second half of the season, going into the playoffs against the reigning champs? Uh, maybe we get one. Maybe uh, one. Wow. It's okay. So Friday, me and Erica went to the game, but got hooked up by my dad's friend, had third row seats. It was the worst game. I think I may have been to ever in my life. Wow. And I went to like a quarter of their home games. In terms of Bulls, obviously it's fun. Like being that close is amazing. It's incredible. But as a Bulls fan, watching the Bulls play, it was atrocious. They almost went down by 40 at one point. I've never heard booze in the United Center like that, even when the Bulls were bad. Like there was very audible booze. Um, I don't know what the fuck happened. Obviously the injuries were horribly timed. Um Without Lonzo, I don't think we stand a chance. We're like 15 and 20 without him. Um, I really think him and Caruso together really helped us form some sort of semblance of a defensive identity. And without them, it's just been so terrible. And the offense has been not great, um, which is all we had. 
the biggest problem against the Bucs is that we don't want anybody to stop Giannis. Like, Giannis is going to absolutely feast. I'm very, very scared of him. Um, if he – we saw what he did against the Phoenix Suns in the finals last year. Imagine what he's going to do to fucking Vucevic and Tristan Thompson in the first round. It's going to be fucking – it's going to suck. Yeah, I'm really nervous. Um, I think it's going to be at worst humiliating and at best, yeah, like we get one game. I mean, the Bucks are a perfectly built basketball team, you know. Um, everything besides their coach, who I've never been a big fan of. And uh, I don't know. Vucevic has gone off the rails. He's had a uh, less than great season all year, but like right around the all-star break is when he really like, it isn't that he's playing horrible basketball. It's like the lack of effort that bothers me. Dude, um, it, it's so frustrating mopes. to watch him. He's he mopes. Just... He's a big fucking, um, he's a big Eastern European mope, dude. Like, like he's out there. Oh my God. He's tough to watch. And, um, I think that that's where the Bulls need to start in the offseason. Like, I'm already looking to the offseason. That's how little hope Me I have too. for this series. Is like, um, they need a defensive anchor down low. I don't, like, I just need to know what it takes for us to get Vucevic off our hands. And, like, I just remember how excited Bulls fans were about getting Vooch. But, like, you couldn't really fault us because, like, that was the first big signing that we had had in, like, so long. Yeah. But, like, that's that's what I'm looking for. Um, that's like what I'm looking forward to is like, right. like can yeah. we get a Miles Turner? You know, mm. someone like yeah. that. If if Rudy Gobert's contract wasn't so massive, <laughs> forty mil, yeah, yeah. Like I feel like you know, obviously with the alleged turmoil in Utah between him and Donovan Mitchell, like obviously alleged. I mean, yeah, it's clear, but you know, <laughs> it's fun yeah. to watch. Um, DeAndre Ayton, I know, is a restricted free agent. Um. But I don't think we're gonna get him. Uh, I don't. I wonder what's gonna happen with Levine. I wonder. I still think like he's gonna come, come on. The come on. Are we already going into off season? We, let's not be this hopeless, guys. Like you, I'm just playoff like, team. dude. I know, but it, it, the second half of the season was such a stark contrast to the first half. Like it feels like so long ago. We were talking about Demar Derozan for MVP, Bulls first place in the East, going on like a nine game win streak, like. There's yep. been so many like three game loss streaks, like four and six, like all the time. It's like seven and fifteen after the break. Um, and all of our wins are to shit teams too. Like, yeah, we can't beat anybody good, and like we get fucked up by the bad teams. Um, Levine's been playing hurt. He's obviously still hurt because um, he hasn't had time to recover. Uh, so yeah, like like Carter said, Vucevic's energy is not good i was watching him on the bench and he just like sulks uh tristan thompson he's not gonna do shit against Giannis. um and i was just thinking about this bobby portis revenge against the bulls in the playoffs i think he's gonna snap a few games um caruso's banged up it's just not good it's just we're not coming in the bulls are kind of coming that's like their worst point in the season right now having to face the defending champions and like, well, allow me to be the optimist then, because obviously Milwaukee is a better team, but they haven't been playing amazing either. Like Giannis has been playing at MVP level, but everybody else has been kind of sleepwalking through the season. And I think they have the potential to just flip the switch and be that kind of team. But at the same time, it's like this team isn't as good as last year's team. 
Like they're just not like, I don't love Wes Matthews the way and Connaughton hasn't been as good this year either as he was last year. Brooke Lopez is still coming back into the rotation, you know, still trying to work his way into basketball shape. So I think there's some semblance of hope for you guys. I really do. I don't think you guys are going to win the series by any means, but if I'm being optimistic, I'm thinking, you know, if you can keep it close into the last six minutes of a game, I'm taking DeMar against any other closer in the league. And I know that he's had a lot of weight on his shoulders, but DeMar is still DeMar, and he's been great all season. I mean, I know you're giving me those eyes. Too. I they know have they have too, I know they have Middleton and Giannis, but it's like – That's going to be fun. You know, Middleton but, you versus know, DeMar. Patrick yeah. Williams looked good the other night when he got his shots up. I think he ended up like 31. I think Tony Bradley should get the Tristan Thompson minutes, if I'm being honest. He looked pretty decent oh. last night. Oh, I like dude, Bradley. Tony Bradley sucks. Oh, Jeez, Tony Bradley's so that, bad. But is he that much worse than like Jordan Dora if they have to put him into a rotation? It's like the Bucks aren't deep. They're not. Like That's they have fair. They're deeper they're than they're gonna have to yeah. play. They're not playing just 40 minutes. Bradley. I mean, like, I can at least stomach Tristan Thompson because he's like a bit of a grinder down low. Like, that's all he has is like he and like he's able to draw fouls on the offensive end sometimes. But like Tony Bradley adds nothing to the game of basketball. No, and I'm yeah. saying that where you guys are gonna generality. win. Where you guys are gonna win is in the bench minutes. You guys need Io and oh. Kobe to be really big. And that's like that's, Kobe you know, that's White. Tough. He's I don't he doesn't have it. He's got to yeah. find a new home. This we need season. these guys to turn it around, man. Because the, well, the problem, have... the problem with the Bulls bench is that it's so inconsistent. Um, Kobe White will be—he's so streaky. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's had some good showings this year. The fart noise probably wasn't warranted, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't see him being a guy that's going to take over a playoff game. I always had some great moments. Um, he has been an amazing surprise this season, but he's too he's a first year point guard like he's not going to take over a playoff game and then like i don't know i just don't trust our bench like having crusoe will be nice but like his defense has only done so much without having another really good primary defender like lonzo ball because everyone else just frankly sucks at defense and he's not going to put up 20 to like help kind of just supplement that so it's just we had Lonzo. Like, the identity of the team is so different with Lonzo Ball. Like he, it's absurd. I just, I wish we were fully healthy. Um, yeah. And I think this series might kind of show the front office some gaps that need to be fixed. Because if we're in the East and we're going to be trying to contend for a while, gotta have a Giannis stopper or somebody who can at least like get in his way and maybe slow him down. Like that's just how it is. Especially there's Giannis. There's Embiid. Like. Those are the guys who are going to be running into in the playoffs, especially in deeper rounds, like for the next few years. You got to have somebody to slow them down. All right, I just your starting fives. Like if you, I if want Miles Turner so bad. Dude. Yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> oh my god, that, dude, I want him so bad. And this is gonna sound weird, but like I want Tory Craig coming off of our bench too. Like I want these <laughs> defensive maniacs, bro. Like I want these fucking maniacs. Right, Tired of we could get the bucket. We can get the bucket. Bullshit. God, I mean, you guys are talking about the few. Like you're in the playoffs. Be thankful you're in the playoffs at the very least. Your starting five. Dude, they don't sound that like fucking... that big of a mismatch. If your starting five is Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Williams, and Vucevic, that's not David versus Goliath with Drew Holiday, Wesley Matthews, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez. Yeah, sure. And then the benches. You know they have to play George Hill and Javon Carter. Like, those are their backup guards. 
they're gonna have to play Drew Holiday like 46 minutes if they like really want to blitz you guys. But I would take Io and Kobe over George Hill and Javon Carter. Like they're relying on fucking Sergi Baca minutes or Jordan Nora or yeah, it's fair. Uh, I think they have Lindale Wigginton on their team. It's like Drew Holiday fucks the Bulls up, dude. He fucks the Bulls up like every game I mean, that we play. Yeah. He's deadly. He's deadly. He's he one of the best so guards good. in the league. Oh yeah, top five. It's just like this is the most Chicago Bulls season. It's just, <laughs> it's just pain. Like they just get you so excited just to fucking tear it down. All right. Well, God, this was way more depressing than I thought it was. I thought there was gonna be some kind of false hope, but dude, I'm it's been a bucket. Post All Star break has been brutal. It's not been fun. It's just been like. I know because like if you can't beat a good team like it's just like I don't care about beating the Pacers anymore and then I just watch the Hornets just absolutely fuck them up uh, LaMelo had 24 in the first half it was horrible do you see the bags under my eyes this is from the Bulls dude (laughs) I look like Michael Morbius right now oh no all right that's where we end the pod I wish I didn't see Vucevic at the lake you brought up the illegal word. All right. Thank you guys for hopping on. I appreciate it. Go all Bulls. Right. Go Bulls. See Red. Yeah, go Bulls. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm now joined by Ben Masterson, the one and only, one of my favorite coaches in the uh, Iowa area. Uh, just an absolute killer. Do you have track practice today? We had a meet. We had our first meet. You had your How did it go? It was a lot. It was a lot more than I expected. It was a, I was like – Doing this because it's a little bit different than uh, coaching high school basketball. I thought it was going to be right. a little bit easier, a little bit more laid back. There's four coaches, uh, including me, but oh my god, there's a fuck ton of running around. I'm <laughs> um, these junior high kids. Like the funny thing is, no one wanted to be there. Like all the kids I was talking to were like, yeah. "I just want to go home." Mm-hmm. Like, it's junior high kids, so they have no work ethic, and they had like no idea where they were going. So it was a lot of like managing like running around and like getting these little kids in place and whatever. But it was a lot of fun. It was cool to like root for them and, and see them get super happy when they won or something. So shit, I would rather play 2K than run too. So I, I feel the same way as them. Um today Ben and I are gonna be talking about the play in matchups are gonna be taking place tonight and tomorrow night. And then as well as some of the playoff matchups. Um and we're also gonna go through 10 sneaky awesome players to watch in the first round. So we're going to try and keep this quick, probably three minutes per matchup, just kind of the ins and outs of it, um, what you guys need to look out for when you are watching it if you haven't been super in tune with NBA season. Um, but let's start with the playing game. So first we're going to go with Brooklyn and Cleveland. They play tonight at 6 p.m. I mean, does Cleveland stand any chance? No Jared Allen? I think no Jared Allen makes it tough because yeah. surprisingly they're not a great defensive rebounding team for all the mm. length that they have, and it it increases, it's amplified by not having Jared Allen. I think they can if they limit turnovers, they play lockdown defense, they play big, right? But I think this is where you really see how important getting Andre Drummond was, was for the Brooklyn Nets. I think he's able to kind of keep up with the size up front. I think that, you know, Mobley is going to be tasked with guarding KD, which is yeah. pretty daunting for a rookie in his first quote-unquote playoff game. And then Garland really has to be not better than Kyrie because I think that's also another daunting task for another young player. Yeah. Uh, but at least on the similar level to him, and then it comes down to the role players. Like if Seth can only play 15 minutes a game for Brooklyn in the first round or two, 
um, or the first round at least, um, you know, that's that's tough because they don't have a lot outside of Kyrie and KD, obviously. That's been the storyline right. all season. Right. Um, but for things to go right for Cleveland, it's got to be a Karis LeVert game. Yep. But at the same time, I think he probably knows that and thinks that. So he's probably going to try and get up like 22 shots. I'm not sure if that's necessarily what you want. No. Maybe Kevin Love can explode, Laurie Markin. I don't know. It, it's going to be tough, but I think we both have Brooklyn winning that. Yeah, I just think in, in a one-off game – you can't bet against the two best players and Katie's the best player in the universe. I mean, looking at a true basketball player's perspective, MVP aside, Katie's the best basketball player and I'm not going against him in a Mm one-off. Okay. Clippers, Minnesota. So they play shortly after that at eight 30 our time. Um, Clippers just got Paul George back in the last couple of weeks. Um, for the foreseeable future, as, as much as we know, Kawhi will not be returning for the playoffs, but who yeah. knows? Maybe he pops up out of nowhere. Minnesota gets home court here. Um, they've been my favorite team to watch all season outside of Phoenix and some Boston games, depending on when I watch them. Um, but the Clippers, I don't know. It feels like they're just the kind of team that can explode for one game and go for 140 if they really yeah. need to. Yeah. With the Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, Covington lineups where they just have, you know, five guys out there that are either six foot seven or above. Um, but I don't know. Can Minnesota continue this magical run and get the seven seed? I think so. I think at the target center, you have and you have players that are made for this environment too. Like we've mm-hmm. talked about how explosive and how incredible Ants Binge's as a leader and as a young guy who comes in and he looks ready for the big moments. Like he's not, he doesn't look like a guy that's going to shy away from a playing game or, or play nervous or play scared or play hesitant. Um, I just think they have more high end star power and that's not taking anything away from Paul George who has been amazing. Um, and, and as advertised since coming back from the injury, but you know, cat who is the best uh, shooting big in the league right now, you have D'Angelo Russell who has, has been clutched throughout his, his career and has had pretty awesome moments in events like this. So I yeah, that think, one playoff series against Philly, he was great in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like he was a blast to watch. And like they, that's the kind of the thing about this Minnesota's team is they really love each other. And that Brooklyn mm-hmm. team was having more fun than anybody. And also we can't discount the fact that it's Patrick Beverly re- revenge game. So that's fun as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think you're right about cat. Like cat has to dominate Zubach and Hartenstein. If they want to win this game is, Beverly a lot to pick up a tech this game. Um, I don't know. I think he learned from the last game where like he was being so annoying. I don't know if you saw, yeah. but he was doing this yeah. fucking stupid thing at the free throw line. I'm like, dude, maybe he's just like really antsy and ready for the playoffs and eager. But at the same time, it's like this is inexcusable, bro. He you was- gotta like, you can't you can't give up just two free points in the play in. Yeah, right, right. I, I think he's smarter than that, but I also think this is a real emotionally charged game with players that he's been a long long time with with the Clippers so I don't know that'll be interesting that's something I'm really looking forward to is, is how he's able to manage this game yep um all right moving on to Atlanta and Charlotte they'll play Wednesday night at six o'clock our time um oh God, I don't even know who I want to pick this game I don't know who yeah. I want to win this yeah. game it feels like Charlotte's been the more fun team this year where Atlanta's kind of dysfunctional but is probably more talented and has the best player on the floor of this game but I don't know I was thinking about this today if I'm Charlotte, if I'm Borrego, I am just – I mean, I don't know if teams do this or if it's that easy in the NBA. I doubt it is. But 
if I see Trey Young on LaMelo or Terry Rozier or whoever it might be, I'm looking at that dude like food and I'm posting up that guy every single play that I can because it's one game, yep. tire him out, make him work on defense, all of that kind of stuff. But where do you lean in this game between the Hornets and Hawks? I lean – I think we're in the same boat here where I lean Hawks, but there's a clear formula for the Hornets to to – I don't know if you call this an upset, but to win. Um, and we've seen it recently, right? They played a game um, on March 16th where the blueprint's there, right? If you make Trey work really hard on uh, the defensive end and you force him to take really difficult shots and you're up in his grill the entire game. I mean, the game in March, he shot what, three for 12. He had nine points. He had 15 assists, mm-hmm. so he still gets it done. Mm. But if you can make him go three for 12, I mean, you have a really good shot at beating the Hawks. So the formula is there. Yeah, and at the same time, it's like, who are they counting on outside of Trey? Is DeAndre Hunter going to give him a game? Is John Collins going to be that guy? Capella hasn't looked like he's wanted to play basketball for three months. And with the Hornets, it's like, okay, I can if if Lamelo's not going, at least I have Miles Bridges, or maybe I can get something out of Rozier. Like they have, I feel like they have a little bit more versatility as far as like who's going to be handling the rock versus the heliocentric Hawks, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, Trey no. led the league in total points and total assists. Um, I also like okay, let's go can... with San Antonio. Oh, no, go ahead. My bad. Well, they're just a weird team in how they can they can change their lineup. They can change the makeup of their lineup with relative ease. It sucks that they lose Hayward and it's confirmed that he's not going to be in this game, but I really like mm. the addition of Harrell at the break. I think it kind of adds some versatility, and, and him, him coming off the bench I think kind of adds a little – excitement or energy for a unit depending on how you want to play if you want to go really small you can take Plumley out you can go really i mean they've played some really weird lineups um and so it'll be interesting to see how they attack this hawks team um i know we've talked about how disappointing the lakers season has been but if the hawks will make the playoffs after making the conference finals is this one of the most disappointing seasons we've seen in a while it's weird it feels like I don't know. I, I didn't expect them to have a letdown like they have because it's the same personnel. It's the same coach. It's got to be seen as a disappointment from going to the Eastern conference and feeling like, Oh, we're ahead of schedule. We can make this work next year. We're going to be right. We're just entering our window, right. To virtually missing the playoffs and being the ninth or 10th best team in the East. Like, and that's a, that's a conference that's been competitive all year long. That's been up for the taking all year long. And to fall 10th or 9th, that's really disappointing for them. So, yeah, I think I don't think it's quite as disappointing as the Lakers, um, but it's right up there. Right. Um, all right, your team, San Antonio, goes into New Orleans after that game at 8.30. You don't want to win. I know you don't want to win. You want to get in the lottery. But, you know, if this is Pops last season or something like that, are you kind of feeling the juices where, like, fuck it, we're here, we might as well just get in? I want to win this game. I don't want to get in. I don't Okay. Okay. Because we're playing the Suns. Like, we'll see the Suns, and we'll lose in four, and it'll make me sad. And it'll make me, like, it's a bitter – like, it's a bitter end of the season if we get swept in four Mm. just embarrassingly by the Suns. Um, But I want to win a game. You know, we got here last year. The Grizzlies beat us. We didn't get a win in the play-in. I think we can – we went three and one against this Pelicans team all season. We play them tough. They're not great at shooting the three. I think this is a team that we match up really, really well against. I'm excited for this game. Yeah, I am too. I'm excited to see who guards B.I. I don't know if they throw DeJounte at C.J., if they put Keldon on B.I. or what, what route they I take. Think, I think you throw Keldon on B.I. because he's got the body, he's got the size. 
I think you can do it. I, I'm glad they played DeJounte in the last game against Dallas, even though Spurs fans were like wanting them to bench everybody and just lose out, which I wanted them to lose too. But DeJounte looked real rusty just getting back. And he kind of started to get in the flow of things. He got some easy buckets off of steals, but he needed that game to kind of get his legs back from under him. And I think that, I don't know, he's a problem. He's a problem against that team. All right, now we've got three matchups to talk about in the actual playoffs that are confirmed. Barter and Jack and I already talked about Bulls Bucks, so let's talk about the other Eastern Conference matchup. The Sixers and the Raptors. I'll just put it out front right now. I put money on the Raptors today to win this series. Uh, I think that they pose a lot of problems for James Harden, and I, I think it. that they're going to just say, hey, Embiid, go get your 35 and 15, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, I think they're a deeper team. I think they're more talented. And the surge that they've been on the second half of the season has been unreal. This is a team that was out of the playoffs for most of the regular season. The last three months, they've been fighting and grinding. And Nick Nurse is just going to absolutely embarrass Doc Rivers. Am I an idiot or are you in the same stance as me? I love it. I love it. I don't I, – I, I love what the Toronto Raptors are, and I hate what the Philadelphia 76ers are. So maybe it's just a bias and just – personal preference for basketball styles and how these guys just operate. But if you're asking me gun in my head to put money on Nick nurse or doc rivers in a playoff series, or <laughs> a meaningful game, like I am not putting any sort of money, any sort of bet on doc rivers. Um, I also just really like Toronto's had their rotation down for better or for worse. They've had the rotation down since the beginning of the season. They've been running guys tight and they've been running really tight rotations and maybe that takes a toll down the line maybe that takes a toll mm -hmm. in the second round right where guys start to break down is really really grueling to play these seven game series but mentally i just think they're in another zone than than philly has been i don't think james harden's right whatever if it's a hamstring i don't think he's washed i think it does have to do with the injury i think it has to do with his hamstring but He's he's already a question mark when he's healthy going into the playoffs. And so now you have mm -hmm. his hamstring or whatever he has going on. He hasn't looked right since those, what, the first three games when he looked amazing. Yep. Um, I, I don't know. And, and besides that, if you don't have Harden going, then it's basically the team you had before, you know, we knew Ben Simmons had us. But they have less players, right? They don't have Seth Curry right. anymore. Who should, I realized today he's shooting 47% from three, Seth Curry. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely oh, yeah. astounding. That's just, I didn't realize. I thought he was like a low 40%, but 47 is absurd. And they don't have Draymond, yeah, right? They don't have that backup. And did you see that? You see that Twitter video of DeAndre Jordan's like effort last night? They were playing some mm -hmm. team and just the word, like it looked like he didn't want to play basketball. Yeah, they're relying on Charles Bass here, Paul Reed to get the backup five yeah. minutes because DeAndre's not going to give them a lot. And if they, they do put in DeAndre, it. then. I mean, I love the Toronto, Toronto's backup bigs. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. But, I mean, Precious and Boucher, like, that's a deadly duo yep. to come in. Yeah. And they're starting caliber players, too. So, I think that, you know, if you put Philly's best five against Toronto's best five, then, yeah, Philly's going to have the best player in Embiid. Like, that's obvious. But I think, you know, two through five or two through six, like, that's a toss-up. Like, you can put Maxi in that mix. You can put Harden in that mix, obviously. Like, Harden's the most skilled player other than Embiid in this series. But if I can throw out Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, and Pascal Siakam, yep. that's five guys that I know are going to go balls to the wall. And at the same time, I know they've played a lot of minutes this year, but it's not like they're 30 years old. Like, these are young yep. legs. Like, they can handle those minutes. And I don't know. I like Toronto in this series. Um, let's go over to Dallas and Utah. I don't know much about calf strains, but apparently Luca has one in his left leg. Right. 
Um, From what I heard, it didn't look very good. I I didn't see it myself, but that makes me a lot more nervous because we talked about Dallas last week in our preview. Um, I mean, God, man, if they they don't have Luka, it's going to be tough because he's been otherworldly in the playoffs the last two years, and that would mean that they wouldn't win for the third time in a row. But they had home court. We're going to talk about another one of their players in our sneaky top 10, but I don't know. Is this is this salvageable for Dallas, or does Utah have this in the bag if there's not a 100% Luka out there? I think this is why this is why that midseason trade happened, right? Going back to the deadline mm. where you get uh, Brunson and Dinwiddie, and and obviously, no, that doesn't have the sex appeal that, that seeing Luka Doncic play basketball does. Right. But um, that's a backcourt that can make it work against Utah, right? And, and, and we've seen them play um, – they can play not the same level as Luca, but they can play that same composed kind of kniving their way through getting them, but other guys shots, especially when the two play um, at the same time. But I think the issue comes when you get late in the game and you don't have that Luca to rely on. So I think maybe Utah steals the game. I think maybe it's a closer series than originally I would have it, but I still think mm-hmm. Dallas prevails. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to have to be the Donovan Mitchell series if Utah wants to win. There's been so yeah. much so much dysfunction between him and Gobert. This team obviously does not love each other. It's like they did a couple of years ago. Kind of the fatigue of you know being in the playoffs five years in a row, not going anywhere is wearing on them a little bit. But yeah, um, yeah, I think this? you're right. Dallas is – and Dallas is the slowest pace in the league. I didn't realize yeah. it until I looked yeah. at the stats today. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're the slowest team in the league, so they're accustomed to playoff basketball where you have to execute in the half court. And this, this is where their defense comes in, right? Last year, if they lose Luka, I don't even know if I have them winning a game in the first round. Mm. But the fact that they have that second um, ball handler, they have that second shot creator, but they also have been relying on defense. That's going to keep you in the game. That's going to keep you involved. And we see that Utah, even if they get these big leads, they go through stretches where they just can't get anything going. Mm-hmm. Do you think this might be one of the most consequential first round series we have this year? Right, because if Dallas can't get past a dysfunctional Utah team, like what does that mean for them? What do we try to do? How do we surround a team around Luca to get him past the first round? Right. And do we start putting the blame on Luca? Because I don't think you can yet. Yeah, with the injury it's tough. Um, I think with the injury it's like, okay, you know, it's just unfortunate and that's all yeah. it is because yeah. I think that this is the team to build around him, have multiple ball handlers that can relieve the pressure from him, have shooters, and then have a couple of bigs that can come in and give you solid 20 to 25 minutes. Um, so I think they have the right formula. It's just about whether or not it's going to be good enough to beat because there's going to be a team like Phoenix, maybe not as good as yeah. Phoenix, but there's going to yeah. be a team like Phoenix in the West every year because these GMs yeah. in the West are solid. Like Minnesota is going to get better. Denver is going to get better when they get Jamal and MPJ back. Memphis is going to be a force to be reckoned with for forever. The Clippers have Kawhi coming back next year. Yeah. So you just have to be careful with all this kind of stuff. Um, Golden State and Denver. I've been wanting to pick Denver so badly, yeah. but when I look at the matchup, it's just like, okay, I think Golden State probably prevails. Hopefully, you put, I imagine they're going to put Draymond on Jokic and just – say, hey, you have six fouls, give them as hard of a time as you possibly can. Um, but then again, Steph's still got a bum ankle. Is that what it was, an ankle injury? I think so, yeah. So, I, I mean, he's got history with those ankles too. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how Steph responds from the injury. Clay is starting to get cooking a little bit more recently, yep. getting more comfortable. He's probably 30 games in at this point. And then Jordan Poole's obviously ascended. But does Denver 
can Jokic just completely put everybody on his shoulders and get them through the series into the second round? I don't know if you can do that for a seven-game series against the Warriors. Um, right. Especially because you're not getting MPJ, you're not getting Jamal Murray back. Like, right. The team that's that's surrounded by um, Jokic, I just don't know if they have the juice to get past the playoff Warriors team. Because, once again, like – these guys have been here and the big three for them have only played. I think I saw like 11 combined minutes all season. Mm, um, yep. I mean, that's going to change at some point. And even if Steph's not 1000% or even if Steph's not, you know, what we're accustomed to seeing him in, and pretty much any game he plays besides the kind of rough stretch he had this year, um, you have other guys you can rely on and Steph's going to get more open shots than he did at the beginning of the year when they had lost Draymond and he was kind of going through that little slump. Um, sure. Also, the emergence of Jordan Poole. You have a more complete team just throughout, even if you have a 85, 95% step. And I think he'll be bad. I don't think he'll make the first game. I think I saw that that's in jeopardy. Um, right. But I still think they're able to get this done. I don't, I don't, I want to yeah. pick and I want to believe in Denver, but I just don't know what I believe in. When you look at the top seven players in the series, you got Jokic, probably the best player in the series. Yeah. And then you got Steph, and then you got Clay, and then you got Draymond, and then you yep. might have a Kaminga game, a Jordan Poole game. Yeah. Um, you got a bunch of guys out there that have, you know, are battle tested, like Kevon Looney. I know he's not great, but I mean he's still been in the finals three or four times. So that that's kind of the issue that I run into here. It's like who's gonna be the next man up for Denver? Because I don't know if it's Aaron Gordon. Like that's somebody who can give you some real minutes defensively, but offensively, if he has too much of a load, it's a lot for him. He's and a fine we're gonna talk player, about another that's what he is. We're gonna talk about another Denver guy a little bit later. So yeah. let's go into that right now. Our sneaky top ten players. Um, I had a lot of fun putting together this list. It's just ten guys that I think the casual basketball fan should look out for while we're in the playoffs. Um some of the names you might recognize, some of them you might not. So let's just start with the Raptors versus Sixers series. Gary Trent Jr. and Precious Achiwa. Um, Gary Trent Jr. is somebody that I'm familiar with from Duke. Um, I loved him at Duke. I wish that he would have been a little bit more mature while he was there. Yeah. Um, but he has completely grown into a player that can give you 30 any night. He has 27 games this season with at least 21 po- with at least 20 points. The Raptors are 21 and six in those games. He's gotten 42 points twice, and then he has. 30 plus points in a game 10 times. So this kind of speaks to Toronto's ability to rely on different players. They can go to Van Vliet for a game. They can go to Pascal for two games. They can go to Gary Trent Jr. for another game. It's just, I think Gary Trent Jr. kind of unlocks Toronto a little bit more, whereas Philly doesn't have that fourth or fifth guy that can get them 30. They got three guys that can. Yeah, and I think that if you don't have that number one option like Embiid, you have to counteract it with people that can get you 40 on a nightly basis, right? And it, it's a variety of different people on Toronto. Like, I think they were saying on the mismatch, there's got to be the only team that all five of their starters has at least put up, they were saying 30 or 40 points in a game right, this season, right. which is absolutely absurd. And and that's what makes them such a difficulty against a team like Philly that isn't great defensively outside of mm-hmm. Embiid. Um or Thibel, yep. Yeah, or Thibel, of course. But, but Thibel's such a negative offensively that it's yeah, like, yeah, it, it's kind of like the opposite of Trey Young. He's like the he's like the antithesis of Trey Young. Yeah. And then you have like, like, are you gonna really be able to rely on George Niang minutes or right. Furkan Korkmaz minutes? Exactly. It's like it's it sketchy there. It's it really scary on those wings. Yeah, Danny Green was an okay defender once upon a time, but now I mean, right? He's, I, he shouldn't even be brought up. So my bad on that. But. 
<laughs> You're good. Um, Precious Achiwa, uh, this is a guy who I didn't watch the Raptors at all for the first half of the season. I've watched yeah. probably 12 or 13 games, something like that, since the All-Star break. And I watched the Rising Stars game, and I thought that he was supposed to be like bam light. And in the Rising Stars game, I know it doesn't mean that much, but those guys were competing because it was like, you know, yeah. they're playing a 50 or whatever. He was out there like going off the dribble, hitting threes. So I was looking for that the rest of the season when I was watching them. And this dude's actually legit skilled. Like he's a yeah. five that can put it on the floor, stretch you out. Last year, he only attempted one three all season. This year, he's made 56 out of 156 of them, which is just wild Like to make that big of an improvement, especially for a big guy. So I think he's another guy that people should look out for. He's going to be the dude with the dreads, and I love Precious. He's one of my favorite bigs in the league. Yeah, he shot – I think he's shooting 35% like for the year. Um, yep. So it, I don't know. I loved him, and I was super high on him coming out of – um, college into the draft and yeah to see the minutes that he's providing on a team that really has tight rotations and doesn't play bad players um mm-hmm. I'm just looking here he's playing 23 minutes a game so I, I i love the ability for him to stretch the floor i love the ability he's a tenacious like down low guy too in terms of rebounding yep. in terms of hustle plays like he does the grunt work he does what's needed out of him he's not a tra- traditional big how tall is he do you know Probably he's six, six foot nine, nine. Yeah. yeah six nine so obviously not the tallest guy but he kind of plays and i hate using this and running into the ground but he kind of plays that draymond role where he kind of does yep. a little bit of everything but he doesn't do one thing that's great but he doesn't need to do one thing that's great he does everything consistently and everything good all right jalen brunson of the mavericks is the third guy on here we talked about him a little bit i wrote this before i realized that luca was going to be hurt so it becomes even more pertinent now yep. Um, he's averaging 16 points, four boards, and five assists this year on 50% from the field. That's wild for a guy yeah. that's six foot one, 37% for three, and 84% from the line. I think he's a starting caliber guard in this league. Um, I remember in the game that Luka was out against the Lakers earlier in the year when Austin Reeves hit that three on the right wing to win it. Brunson went nuts against them. He looked unguardable. He was just absolutely torching dudes. And I think that's kind of where. Like, Utah does not have a guy that's going to come out and just clamp him up. Like, Mike Conley isn't really capable of that. Mitchell doesn't do that because he has such an offensive load. And then Clarkson's the same way. He's a score-first player. So, I think when people are watching Dallas and Utah, don't tune out just because Luka might not be at 100% because Brunson is a guy that can go out there. And I swear to God, he can get you 30 and 10. Like, I love Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Well, and and he's been doing it every single time Luka's missed time too. It's not just one game. Yep. He can come in and, and, and be serviceable or, or come in and show flashes. Like the, I was watching the game against Sacramento earlier when, when he was, Luka was out for like a foot injury or a leg injury or something like that. And it was the same thing where he was just come in and he's the steadying force, right? Like some mm-hmm. backup point guards who have the opportunity to play that starting role, they come in and they're eccentric and they're trying to do a little bit too much sometimes, but he knows his role, and he is so good at it, where he just plays his game. He's the studying force. He's calm. He he dissects in a way that's similar to Luca, which is why, like, I think he's going to be a huge mismatch for Utah because he's able to kind of take his time, get to the basket, pull Gobert out on these pick and rolls. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's going to really be able to exploit this Utah defense that doesn't have a whole lot of perimeter help. He's so good from 10 to 16 feet. He yep. just like has all those fadeaways in exactly. his back great footwork. Exactly. Um, all right, two guys to look out for Memphis. So everybody knows who John Morant is now. Everybody knows Jaron Jackson, Steven Adams, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks. 
two guys to look out off the bench. I think Kyle Anderson actually starts for them. Uh, but yeah. Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. Melton's their backup guard. Um, he's kind of similar to Brunson as far as like their statistics are concerned. Per 36, they're around the same numbers. Um, he's at 17, 7, and 4 per 36 on 40% from the field, which isn't great, but 37% from three, 75 from the line. Um, I love Melton. He's explosive. He had an almost yeah. poster last night yeah. that was like reminiscent of a jaw. And once again, Memphis is just one of those teams that's like they're what 24 and two now, 23 and three without jaw in the lineup. And it's not just because Taylor Jenkins is a great coach, which he is. It's because they got guys like DeAnthony Melton that can go out there and give you 20 and play not elite defense, but once again, as long as you're not a minus defender on a playoff team, that's all that matters. Just give us some effort and yep. commit to this defensive scheme. Yeah, admittedly, I haven't seen or I haven't watched Melton specifically a whole lot, but for advancing further into the playoffs and for being a young team, you do need the guys that can step up, that can fill a role, that can do mm-hmm. all these things and provide valuable minutes so you don't have to run your guys into the ground, right? If you're going to get to the second, the third, the championship, <clears throat> you're going to need guys that are continually providing minutes and coming up clutch when it matters. And I think that Melton um, is exactly the type of guy to do that. And here's a guy that you are familiar with because he started yes. on your team, Kyle Slomo Anderson. Um, he was one of my favorite college players the year that he came out. I think it was 2014 um, from UCLA. I absolutely loved him. He's had a positive net rating every single year he's been in the league, except for his rookie year in San Antonio when he didn't play as much. Um, but he's the kind of guy where you're going to be surprised that this guy exists in the NBA because he's six foot eight. He moves slower than a sloth, but he's so smart. He knows every angle on the court, and he, he might not be the most skilled guy in the league, but he is definitely one of the better passers for a forward, and I just love watching Kyle Anderson play. I don't know if you were like infatuated with him when he was in San Antonio, but he's a guy that I've always kept tabs on. He's someone – there are like a few people um, from like since I've been a Spurs fan that I'm either regretful have left San Antonio that we've never gotten um, mm. or, or somewhere in that – you know, capacity because they're such a good Spurs player. And he is exactly the embodiment of that where he's methodical. He's very unassuming, right? Like exactly what you were saying. Like he's not someone you would see on the basketball court and, and see their game and be like, Oh shit. Like we got to watch out for him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His explosiveness doesn't jump off the page. Yeah, exactly. But he plays within himself. He plays this like very methodical pace that gets results. He's very solid defensively. Like he's, Mm -hmm. He does, once again, he does like the grunt work. He does all the things that are necessary for a role player, right? Where he's mm-hmm. not, you're never going to be like, go out and get us a bucket, right? But he does all the plays that are like necessary for winning and necessary for young teams to make that next step, right? Not everybody can be flashy. Not everybody can make the highlight. But he, you know, like you said, it's the net rating, right? Where he does everything consistently well year in and year out, right? He's not trying to change his role. He's not trying to do anything too ridiculous. He plays a methodical pace. And um, it's I wouldn't say it's fun to watch, but if you are a big basketball fan, if you love watching like people play the right yeah. way, then it's fun to watch. Definitely, definitely. You have to have some level of appreciation for the guys that just see it in a little bit different way than everybody else. Um, all right, sixth guy on the list is Tyrese Maxey. Um, I think people know who Tyrus Maxey is, but I wanted yeah. to talk about him in the same way that we talked about Jalen Brunson. I think that when people watch the Sixers play the Raptors, they're going to be surprised that, you know, they've heard the name James Harden millions of times, but I think they might be surprised 
that some games Maxi is actually more effective against the Raptors than Harden is because yep. Harden has struggled against the Raptors. This is a team that he doesn't like going against explosive athletic wings that are rangy that can switch because he loves to take advantage of mismatches of switching pick and rolls and getting a big on him. Whereas Maxi is despite Toronto's athleticism, he's probably going to be the most explosive athletic fastest player in this series. Um, so I love watching Tyrese Maxey, and I think he has benefited from having Harden, and he's obviously taken a huge step this year in the most improved player conversation. Um, but can Tyrese Maxey, like, I don't know, what, what does he finish with this series? Like, is he going to – if he averages, like, 22 a game, they win this series, right? Yeah, I think so, because you have to imagine Harden provides you something, um, even mm-hmm. if he's not – Hundred percent. I think he is the X factor. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize the jump he made in his shooting, where he mm-hmm. went from a thirty percent three point shooter to what is he like forty two percent now? Like he's mid forties. Yeah, yeah 43 percent. Um, so he's explosive. Um, he makes all those highlight plays, but he's also just improved so much as a basketball player, and he's improved so much on the technical aspect of the game. Um, yeah, I, I still. I have a hard time going with the Sixers. Maybe it's just because I hate the team so much, but mm. he's improved so much, and it's it's so fun to watch him play. So I, I do think if he puts up 22, like, because what's he averaging on the year? Probably uh, 17, 17, 18, 17, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think this is the series that people really take notice of Tyrese Maxey if they haven't already. Right, and he had the responsibility earlier in the year before the Harden trade when Simmons was out. He got thrust into the role of point guard. He completely manned up, and I think that if great. you give him his own team, he could ascend into that kind of all-star level point guard role. There have been there have been times when I'm watching this Sixers, and, and they've been in a lot of close games this year, but in the fourth quarter, there have been multiple times where it's kind of just the maxi show, where he'll go mm-hmm. down and hit a big shot. He'll go down and then get a stop on the other end, and then go down and have like a crazy-ass dunk, and then stop and then come down the other end and he'll have he'll just run the offense and he'll have a crazy ass assist and he'll either bring the Sixers right back or he'll put the game away and that's huge to have when Embiid is going to be the focal point right they're going to try to take or throw everything they have at Embiid and you need someone like Maxi where if Harden's not doing his thing if Harden can't contribute you need someone to take the pressure off especially late in games he's so fucking competitive I yeah. love him yeah, he's one of my favorite players to watch. Um, all right, Bones Highland for the Nuggets. I think people have been, been becoming more familiar with him as the season's gone along. He's kind of stepped into the microwave role for Denver. Um, so if you guys want to see somebody who's going to get shots up, if you miss J.R. Smith, let me interest you in some Bones Highland meat because this motherfucker puts it up. He has the potential to go for 25 on any given night. I don't know if he can get to 40, but who knows if he gets no. cooking enough. I guess he can. Um, but, you know, Golden State isn't known for their backcourt defense right now, and I think he's a guy that can take advantage of that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's he's really – sorry. Um, he's really composed for a rookie. That's something that mm. I've really noticed from him. He's like, I wouldn't say the moment's too big for him because he hasn't had a lot of moments that <laughs> right. and like consequential, but it, he, he looks like someone that can like fill in really nicely in a playoff series and, and be a solid contributor. Um, once again, this isn't a guy that I've spent a whole lot of time watching with Denver being more on the West coast with games. Um, but everything that I've seen from him is just is, is is so exciting. And he's getting so much better as the season progresses, too. He only started a handful of games throughout the year. But once again, he's yep. that microwave guy that can come out um, and, and 
win you a game or two in a playoff series, right? It can be the Bones Highland game. Right. And it will composed and confident. Like he yeah. is not yeah. short on confidence at all. Like he will take 20 shots in a game in a fucking heartbeat. He's an yeah. automatic green light. And that's what Denver needs. Like Denver needs a guy that's going to be like, I got this shit. Like if Jokic feeds me and I'm wide open, I'm going to knock it down because I've been ready for this moment my entire life. Yeah. Um, all right. Three guys from the Miami Heat. Just because Miami is the one seed in the East. They haven't gotten any press all year. So we're going to highlight a couple of guys. Max Struess who I think probably everybody's going to be shocked is one of the best shooters in the league when they watch him. Yeah. Duncan Robinson, who has had a down year for most people, but is still one of the most effective three-point shooters in the league. And then Victor Oladipo, who, yes, is on the Miami Heat right now. Struess and Robinson are tied for third in three-pointers made per 100 possessions. The only guys ahead of them are, I believe, the Curry brothers. So yeah. Steph and Seth, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, so if you're in that kind of regime yeah, that, yeah that's a good area to be uh Struce is a guy that came out of nowhere i believe he came from the g league that seems to happen with miami every single year and these are just two guys that are you know catch and shoot and they might not give you a whole lot off the dribble uh, but Struce is actually competent on defense whereas duncan is somebody who gets targeted uh, but the, max Struce is actually kind of filled in the duncan robinson role he kind of yeah uh market corrected him if you will so um those are two guys to look out for and then victor oladipo we all know who that is if he has any kind of gas left in them, it's going to be huge for Miami because that's just another guard that they can throw into the mix and, you know, rely on because he's actually been in playoff series before. And he's performed in playoff series too. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, I know it's Cleveland against – Cleveland series. Ball. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's against Orlando, but last night he dropped 40. Right? He dropped 40 on – Yeah, right. He went 13 for 22. Like, that is someone – and I, I don't know. What's he getting paid? Because it's not very much. Fuck. Nothing. Probably the vet man. Yeah, yeah. So to have someone like that just come off your bench if you need a bucket or if you need someone, shit. If he comes in hot a game or two, he could win you. He could win you a series, right? And then, um, in terms of Duncan Robinson on the defensive end, I think getting getting Struess was just a blessing for the Heat, right? They were blessed mm-hmm. by someone because he's able to fill in that starting role, and then you have Duncan Robinson who can come in and just get you a bucket. He can be that microwave guy like we were talking about. Um, and he can't – I think – I was listening to the other day the J.J. Reddick podcast. I think he's like third in charges taken. So he's still providing <laughs> some – like I'm trying to find anything here, but he's still providing of course some he is. benefit yeah. on the defensive end. But thankfully he's not their starting shooting guard because I think that was one of their glaring weaknesses, especially looking right. last season. The bubble, a little bit of an exception just because the bubble was the bubble. But um, I think last season the, the reason why Miami fizzled out um, part of the reason was because you were able to just exploit Duncan Robinson at the shooting guard position. Mm-hmm. Right. And whoever they match up against, they're going to be favored. It's going to be yeah. Atlanta, Charlotte, or Cleveland, most likely, unless Brooklyn yeah. loses tomorrow night or tonight, rather. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see just because Miami's so deep. Who gets the most minutes? Where's all Depot fit into the rotation? Like, is he, you know, backup shooting guard while Harrow plays backup? more Tyler Hill plays yeah. back a point guard because he kind of relieves because he can handle the rock still like that's not something that's you right. really lose um and he's got like we said he's got the experience he's got the control and he's got the confidence and I think getting 40 in the last game of the season Orlando actually played some of their guys too like yeah. Fultz was out there Hampton was out there um Baba played I think everybody was getting minutes at least except for maybe Jalen Suggs um but yeah they're still like you know he got 40 in an NBA game, and he's still yeah. capable of doing that. So that's yeah. all that matters. And that was the big thing. You know, when when someone gets 40 and they're completely healthy and it's like, oh, great, you know, but can they keep doing it? We know Oladipo could do it. 
Like he's done it right. his whole career. It's just it's been a while since we've seen it since the injury. So to see him be able to do that off of the injury and showing that he's making progressions and he's able to stay healthy and able to provide solid contribution, I think that was the biggest thing. Well, we knew he could drop 40, but we didn't know if he could do it after the injury. And on 13 mm-hmm. for 22 shooting, it, it was an efficient yep. night. Yeah, and they're not going to ask him to guard Trey Young or LaMelo right. Ball right. or Garland. They're going to ask him to guard okay, guard Isaac Okoro or Bogdan Bogdanovich. Maybe not even Bogdan. Maybe guard DeLon Wright or something like that. Like, <laughs> like we get it, bro. Like, you know, we know you have the defensive intangibles. It's just about whether or not you can slide the same way you used to. Right. All right, cool. Well, hey, thank you for hopping on. Thank you for talking hoops. I'm so fucking pumped to get into play in action. Playoffs this weekend. We're finally here. It's the best time of the year. Let's fucking go. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it, as always. Um, I feel like Black Jesus.